Welcome to the Extra Podcast, a production of Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Your hosts, Jeff, Ezra, and Thalia, will be discussing the Bible, relevant issues, and current events each week. At Northview, we love to study God's Word and discuss how it applies to our lives, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So feel free to laugh with us and at us as we try to challenge and encourage you in your faith. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name is Thalia. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I'm sitting with two of my pastor friends, Jeff. Hi, how are you, Thalia? Good. Lead Good. pastor of Northview and Andy Steiger. Good to be here. You have a lovely voice, Thalia. <laughs> pastor of all, all kinds of things, young adults and director of Apologetics Canada, which we're going to get into in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But first, we get us warmed up. I have a question of the day. So, Andy and Jeff, what are your worst desserts? Like you go to a buffet table and they have this amazing display of desserts. What is something you would not touch at all? Fruitcake. Actually, <laughs> anything with uh, anything with the fruit in it, it's stupid. Like cooked fruit, you know what I mean? Like oh. the regular fruit, if you have grapes and stuff, I'm cool with that. But like if you cook fruit and put it in things, like raisins, what's that? You're not mm. talking about pies and strudels and stuff like no, that. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, sorry. That, Dried yeah. fruit. No, that's right. But I don't know, you know, like, like if you put cake and you put like raisins or cranberries or whatever in it. Knock it off. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to have to disagree with that. Give me fruit anyway, shape or form. Really? Cooked or not, yeah. Okay. But uh, tapioca pudding Ew. would be mine. Anything with gross, slimy texture. Have you ever had that... Uh, what I do, don't like What it. do they call that st- stuff, though, that has the ambrosia? Is that a dessert? Oh, uh, that's that marshmallow fruit salad ambrosia. thing. Oh, that's disgusting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> marshmallows. There it is. I hate marshmallows. What is in that? Dessert. Marshmallows. Yeah. Oh, you don't like them no. at all? What about schmores? No, I don't like them. Don't like them. No. I don't like nuts in things. So you have this great chocolate chip cookie or brownie, and people put nuts in there. The I'm peanut like, M and M. You don't like the peanut M and M. No. Oh jeez. I can do almonds. Even a macadamia nut. This is. Eh, uh... But in stuff like you're just wrecking a cookie wow. or a brownie. So I make Mark go and eat it. I don't know if I can continue it. in ministry with either of you. <laughs> <laughs> the feelings are mutual. <laughs> I make Mark go and eat it, and I, I tell him, "Is there nuts in there?" And if he if there's nuts, he's fine. And I'm like. That's disgusting. I only feel that way about walnuts. I find oh, that that's just a disgusting. Disgusting. Does anybody really like, have you ever noticed in the mixed nuts, that when they make those buckets of mixed nuts, it's half walnuts, oh. like one-eighth yeah. cashews, and the rest, It's how know, they sell walnuts. Almonds. They got to totally. tease you in. Well, <laughs> so they say, hey, we'll give you some other nuts, but yeah. here's some walnuts. Mostly, mostly walnuts. Yeah, cashews are bad, too. <laughs> what? Yeah, terrible. Really? You, like, you think cashews are bad? Terrible. You like them? Yeah. What about pecan the best pie? You like pecan pie? I get, you know what? Listen, if you have... it's a, Come on, it's a pie. It, yes. No, it has nuts in it. Well, that's now, disgusting. By the way, it's called... I was told uh, once by a guy in Texas, it's pecan. Yeah, I know. We it's say pecan pie. Pecan. No, it's pecan. Pecan. No, it's like, seriously, say, that's what, this is the way the conversation went. I kept say, saying, yeah, we say pecan. And he'd say, no, it's pecan. Yeah, but it's just the way different people say it. No, it's not the different way people say it. <laughs> it's pecan. So do you say apricot or apricot? I don't know. What do you say, Andy? Apricot. Yeah. Apricot. yeah what sure, do you say, say like the second day, well, second day, third day of the week, Tuesday or Tuesday? Oh, that's Whoa, definitely wait, Tuesday. What? Tuesday or Tuesday? Oh, that's the second one's Ponzi. Mm, that deserves a slap. To Doesn't it? Face. I know. Yeah. I agree. So I, I say that to a few people in my life to say Tuesday. What is that? The one that always There's bothered no... me was penalized versus 
penalized. Oh. I, I didn't like penalized. It's penalized. Uh, penalized gets too close to some other words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Not good. Like penalty? <laughs> penalty. So anyway, that's going into the last part of our yeah, content today. Yeah, that's actually getting cut. Yeah, yeah that's getting cut. You're, you're <laughs> hilarious. We better cut that off. Uh, okay, Jeff, start the interview process. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Daily has turned very red at the moment. <laughs> Andy, actually, the reason that you're here is because we want to know more about you. And so uh, Andy Steiger is currently the, what did you call yourself? Are you the director of Apologetics Canada? Is that your title with that? Yeah, although I think we're going to have to change it because as the ministry has grown, we, yep. have, we have people serving in Ontario and now Steve Kim's in Alberta. Yeah, so you want them to have that name. Yeah. So maybe you could be called Grand Director. Grand Master <laughs> President. The Reverend Most High. <laughs> but you, Andy, you're from the United States. You grew up in uh, the U.S. and right. were born into uh, what? Born in Redding, California. At five years of age, moved to Portland, Oregon, hmm. and stayed there until I was 19, and I moved to Canada. But when you were in, in those early st- stages, when did you come to faith in Christ? Did you have it? Were you in a Christian family? Uh, it's kind of a. Uh, it's kind of you know. Maybe you could cut this, all my pausing out of here. Uh, yes and no. Do you not remember? <laughs> it, my so I grew up in in a non Christian family. I would say. Yeah. And church going though. No. No. Uh, so parents did not go to church. They ended up divorcing, and my mom began to go to church. Mm. So I saw my mom going to church, and I saw her uh, grow in her faith. How old were you when your parents divorced? I was five. Okay. So is that where the reason that you moved from Reading? It is. Okay. It is. So when my parents separated, my mom moved us four did you kids grow up, to did you, Portland. Did you grow up knowing your dad very well? I didn't know him at, at all, really. I've only met him or seen him a couple times, like a handful of times okay. in my in my life. Uh, and my last name wasn't Steiger. Uh, my, uh, my dad's last name is Turnbaugh. When my mom got remarried, uh, it's kind of a long story, but my dad wanted my... Um, stepdad to adopt me so that he didn't have to pay child support, stuff oh, like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of fun facts about Andy Steiger. Yeah. <laughs> interestingly so, enough, I didn't know if I wanted to keep that name Steiger when I got married to Nancy. We actually toyed with the idea of taking her last name. Oh, wow. But I, we ended up keeping it. You would have been Mennonite. I know, right? I know. <laughs> you should maybe think about like attaching that on there, like some kind of hyphenated form. Yeah. <laughs> Steiger Schellenberg. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, just, I just love her parents and just the... The, the wonderful family that they have, but then Nancy and I realizes we get to, we get to start our own new family. Yeah. So when you how old were you when your mom remarried? Uh, that's that's a that's a good question. I don't I can't remember. remember. Yeah. No. But do you remember growing up in a in a home with a dad and a and a mom, a stepdad and a mom, or do you remember the days when you were not? Uh, it wasn't a healthy relationship. Okay. So I I often tell people I just grew up without a dad. Okay. Yeah, so you grew up in uh, Portland, the Portland area. Yep. Uh, and did you come to? When did you come to? Did you involved in church at all? Uh, yeah. So then my mom started bringing me to church when she started. What kind uh, of church? Attending church, and so she brought me to this church called Milwaukee First Baptist. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, and so I started uh, attending that church, if you will. Um, and ultimately, my cousins started coming too. We were living at their house at the time, and so it was it was interesting watching God at work, not only in my mom's life but in my my aunt's life as well, and my uncle. Did you come to faith in Christ? Would you say you came to faith in Christ at that church, or was it at another? Uh, I would. I would, yeah. 
eventually. Do you remember when it happened, or is it something that you just kind of grew into and then look back and think, I actually believe all this stuff? Well, for me, uh, I had always known that God existed. The question that I always wrestled with was, who, who was God? Who, and did I want to know that God and follow that God? And so when I started going to church, it was really, uh, I would say, going to church just because my mom was taking me there. And although I found it interesting and, and I saw the impact it was having on her life, I, I didn't necessarily see that as something uh, for me uh, until I was uh, in high school. So it, it, it's kind of weird because I had moments when I was younger where I really drew near to God, but it wasn't, I would, I would say it wasn't until I was 17 years old that I said, no, I actually want to know this guy. Was there mm-hmm. something that precipitated that decision, or is it... Well, yeah, I was at a conference, and as often I was talking with myself uh, in my mind mm. <laughs> as the speaker was talking, and, I, and, and I, I look back and I think I was just I was having a conversation with the Lord in, in many ways, uh, where I was, just, I was basically feeling quite convicted on this idea that I believed that God existed, but I wasn't willing to act on that belief. And so I just had this conversation with myself that if you actually think that that's true, why wouldn't you live like that's true? Right. And then I decided, yeah, I wanted to stop being inconsistent about that, and I wanted to actually pursue that. Mm-hmm. So was there a uh, – did, did the guy – you know, back in those days, Andy, I'm assuming, what is this, early 90s, late 80s? Yeah, it would have been in 1996, 95. Okay, so I'm thinking back in those days, uh, was it still to the point where people would go to conferences and they would invite people forward, or was it just to kind of keep your head, head down, eyes closed, raise your hand, <laughs> raise or was it hand. just sort of a – this is just something that happened uh-huh. and that you went home and knew that there was some – change that took place. Yeah, so this guy was talking about prophecy. So no altar call. It was it was I kind of was not really like tracking with him. <laughs> Isn't that great? I, I, I kind of thought the whole thing was weird. <laughs> so I actually thought the whole thing was kind of weird. I I left the so I had that conversation where I was like, you know what, I actually want to act on this. Uh, but I was still needing to, you know, in some ways figure this all out. But as I left, uh, I just look down at this table as I'm leaving this conference, and there's this organization there called Delta Ministries, and they were having this missions trip to the Andes Mountains for people who wanted to bring the gospel into these mountains, and I just felt compelled to take this pamphlet home. Mm-hmm. But over the next weeks and months, as God began to work in my heart, uh, I found myself compelled to go on this trip. Yeah. Seems all weird, I know, right? Uh but uh, that that began a journey of life change for me. So would you say that that was like one of the most... If, if I were going to ask you, what were the kind of key moments in Andy Steiger's spiritual development? Yeah. Was that one of them? It was. And the reason is because on that missions trip, the president of Delta Ministries, Brian Heerwagen, was on that trip and became a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And then as well, the missionary in Argentina named uh, Dave Greenman also became good friends of mine, and they they really uh, mentored me. What kind of ministry was it? They uh, Delta Ministries is a short-term mission agency. Okay. Yeah. So this is what they did? That's they what took they did. And you were still in high school or college that age? I was in high school. Okay. And so I went in March. It was my graduating year, and I took three weeks out and went off to Argentina. Yeah. Wow. Preached my very first sermon to a bunch really? of sheep herders. <laughs> yeah, so, talking about Jesus being the good shepherd. So, Andy, how did you end up in Canada then? Yeah. Okay, so 
then uh, I went back to that conference okay. after I graduated, and they had this was like the one year they did it for young adults, and they would put they would pair you in a room with some stranger, which is looking back on it, I'm thinking this <laughs> what a bad idea. <laughs> so I was paired off with this guy in a hotel room. And he was telling That's me. That's even worse what? idea. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> Just knock on the door. <laughs> I know. He'll answer. So no. Healthy boundaries, can we say? <laughs> anyway, okay. Back then you could do those yeah, things. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so, so I'm in this hotel room with this guy, and he's telling me about this wonderful land called Canada. Uh, and truthfully, I was one of those stereotypical Americans that thought Canada was a part of the U.S. that no one talked about. Yeah. And it was really far north. Hmm. And, and then he said that there was this program at this school uh, in which you could do your BA and do a backpacking degree at the same time. Cool. And I thought, that sounds fantastic, the backpacking part. Of course, you right? are that kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I, I came up to, to Canada, and that was the year. What school? So it was at Trinity yeah. at Northwest Theological Seminary. Yeah. And that was before they closed. They started the this program that now CBC has called Trek Request, I can't oh, yeah. remember. Mm-hmm. And. That was the year that Mount Baker set the world record, yeah, world the ski, the, record the for the most snowfall. amount of snowfall. So when I came up to Canada, mm-hmm. uh, I I thought this place is a winter wonderland. Like I thought that was typical, and I is that I have come to the right place. And <laughs> I'll never forget. I, this is how dumb I was when I came up to Canada for the first time. I pulled off in Bellingham to get a hotel for the night. Looking back, I'm like, Thinking there were yourself. so many signs. <laughs> Thinking you know? to yourself, oh, it's going to be another <laughs> several really hours. My... <laughs> that's, that's honestly what I thought. I thought Where's I got my it. flares and my sleeping bag? And my I thought I had an epic blanket. journey ahead yeah. the next day. So I had you know pulled over, got some good rest. Yeah, the next day, 30 minutes later, I'm at the <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. No GPS, <laughs> which would have told you like oh, 45 wait, minutes. I am an idiot. Depending on the border crossing. So did you meet uh, your wife, Nancy? Did you meet her at the school? I did. So uh, that year... Uh, there was the Christmas banquet, and I, I'll never forget looking across the banquet as men often do, just eyeing the the uh, scenery. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw this gr- beautiful girl in a red dress, and I thought to and, myself, and "Nancy was right next to her." Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Thanks, just kidding. That's just great. a joke. And I thought I've got to somehow, you know, introduce myself to that lady, and, and I you, managed to do it. You did, and so. Uh, Love at first sight. Yeah. It really was, truthfully. Although I'd go on to try to break up with Nancy multiple times. Why? Because I had lots of dad issues. I was terrified of commitment. I thought for sure I was going to screw up marriage. I thought for sure I was going to be just like my dad. Uh, I thought for sure I was going to marry the wrong lady. Hmm. I was just plain afraid. And I, I love my wife dearly because, thank God, she wasn't afraid yeah. of my insecurities. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I went two weeks without calling her once. And uh, she called up my mom to get my phone number because I had gone down the stairs and then came back. She got my phone number. My mom's like, oh, you call that boy, right? And, <laughs> and she calls me up and Nancy goes, uh, I'll never forget it. She goes, listen, if you want to break up with me, you got to do it like a man. <laughs> <laughs> it's very Nancy. It's very Nancy. And uh, we've been together ever since. Because you, awesome. you've never been a man. <laughs> That's, <laughs> you know, awesome. That's great. That's great. So, how long Pretty did funny. you date her before uh, you you married her? Yeah, we. I, I think it was about three years that okay. we dated. I wanted to be done with college. Before All right. Did, how married. did you ask her? And then uh, Nancy and I walked the train tracks at Trinity, which is many many a couple have walked those mm-hmm. tracks. And so, when I asked her to marry me, we went back on those train tracks. Was it a surprise to her? 
Now, I don't think it's really a surprise to most ladies, but I tried. <laughs> I tried my yeah, best. Good. Yeah. So where are you at now? Tell us about your family. Well, now Nancy and I have been married for like eight, 18 years, and I have now been living in Canada longer than I lived in the U.S., which mm. is a real identity uh, <laughs> challenge right yeah. there. Yeah. How old are you, Annie? Uh, I am 40 this year, turned okay. the big four zero. Uh, and so I have two boys. I have uh, Tristan and William. Tristan is 11 and William's nine. Love being a dad, love being married, uh, love being a husband, and learning learning how to do that well. How did you get involved in uh, apologetics work? Oh, you got to take, wait, you got to take a break. Oops, a sorry. commercial break first. Join us March 1st and 2nd for the 9th Annual Apologetics Canada Conference taking place here at Northview Community Church at the Downs Road Campus. The conference begins Friday night with a panel discussion on religious freedom. The focus will be on the increasing challenge of being a public Christian here in Canada. On the Saturday, we will be hearing from leading thinkers on a variety of topics from faith and politics, human dignity, the reliability of scripture, and so much more. For full conference details and to register, visit our conference website at apologeticscanadaconference.com. Okay, welcome back from the break. We're going to spend some more time with Andy and Jeff. You were starting to go into his ministry, so now oh, we're going to go into his ministry. So, Andy, I mean, you're really you're really interested in apologetics. I mean, that was seems to be something you've been wired to do. Philosophy, that sort of stuff. You ended up at Biola University at some for for a period for mm-hmm. a master's degree. Can you just tell us how that happened? Mm-hmm. You got a degree, I'm assuming, from Trinity or from CBC or from. Well, I went to Northwest. They ended up closing, so I had to do a couple more classes uh, at CBC, which has kind of been just a running joke. That... Yeah, they put you on some of their material, don't they? Yeah, and well, and I, I got alumni of the year once. <laughs> nice, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. So, but I, I love I love CBC, but yeah. So, uh, thankfully, they allowed me to to finish it off uh, there, and then I, I've been uh, in ministry for you know twenty years. Did you immediately uh, go? From there down to, or where did you? No, I, me- I immediately went into ministry. So right after I graduated from college, uh, I went into ministry in Coquitlam. Worked at Eagle Ridge Bible Fellowship. Huh. What does that mean, going to ministry? What did you do? Uh, I was a uh, uh, young adults pastor, but I also worked with uh, middle school. Okay. And quick, quite quickly realized I was not cut out for middle school. Mm. Okay. And so then just went to youth ministry. Uh, did that for two years. Then Nancy and I. Uh, quit our jobs, both of us. She was working with uh, Youth for Christ, Hmm. and she worked with them for a number of years. Uh, We were living in uh, Vancouver at the time. Quit our jobs and went traveling for a year. Hmm. Where'd you go? We we went all over the world. So we went first to Malaysia, but then we were in India, uh, all over India, Nepal. We were in... We even went to the Middle East, so we went to Egypt, Jordan, Israel... Uh, we went to places like Myanmar, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia. Wow. Uh, That's quite basically an opportunity. anywhere that was cheap. Yeah. yeah. So not Europe. <laughs> not no. Europe. Uh, to date, Nancy and I love traveling. To date, we've traveled to over 40 countries. That's great. That's yeah. really neat. So uh, back to ministry, though. Uh, then, I, when I, then I got back into ministry after traveling. Uh, worked uh, in Abbotsford at Emmanuel Fellowship Baptist for five years. It's a youth and young adults guy. Yeah, youth and young adults, and felt, uh, you know, it was interesting. After a sermon I, I preached once, Jim, uh, I said to Jim, the lead pastor, you know, w- you know, give me some critique, and he said, well, you're, you're a good communicator, Andy, but you just lack depth, mm-hmm. and I uh, put in my resignation about two weeks later. 
And I think he wished he hadn't said that. Uh, but it was it all ended up being good. I just realized he was right, and I needed to get more depth of my understanding of the Bible and uh, you know growing as a pastor. So I went to Biola. Now. You did a master's degree there in apologetics? Was it the MA in apologetics that they offer? Yeah, now... Biola, just so people know, where is Biola? So Biola is in Southern California. Now, when I went down there, though, I think this is an important part, uh, I was never really into apologetics. I thought it was interesting. If I would love to go back in time and ask if I even knew what that word meant. Uh, Like, when I I went down, though, I, I went to Biola to go off into missions. My wife and I have always seen ourselves as missionaries. And her and I love missions, and that's how we ended up even starting to date was all about missions. She had, she had served in uh, inner city Los Angeles, and I had been numerous times to Argentina and other places uh, serving, and that's what we wanted to do with our lives. So when we went down to Biola, we had no intentions of coming back to Canada. Uh, we had every intention of heading off to some you know, jungle island you know, uh, sharing the gospel. And as I thought about how best to share the gospel— uh, that was when I began to think about apologetics and understanding how the you know understanding the culture, being able to communicate clearly to a culture, uh, and it was at that time that God began to redirect me back to Canada, and really in some ways as a missionary back to Canada, as I began to hear about how many young adults were leaving the the faith. Hmm. So that's how that actually took place. So what is your degree? Uh, you, what is your degree in then? So it's in apologetics, and the reason why I went to Biola, though, is because this is one of my beefs with seminaries. Seminaries oh are set up beef away. for people actually like you, Jeff, that you did your BA. <laughs> That's his beef. It's set up for people like me. Well, you did your BA in something non-biblical. Yeah, you I did, did communications. Yeah. I did my BA. I did four years in biblical studies. I didn't want to have to go to a seminary and repeat a bunch of classes yeah. that I've already done, mm. which is the way a lot of seminaries are set up. So one of the things I liked about, I had actually applied at Oxford and Biola, uh, Oxford first, and I went through the whole application process with Oxford. And what part were you going to the, do there? Uh, part of the, um, I was going to do philosophy. Okay. Part of the, part of the thing at, at Oxford is you have to do an interview mm-hmm. with them. And so during the interview, the guy had been to Biola and was talking about Biola, and I thought, oh, this sounds like a good school. Uh, so that's how I had heard about it. And then I thought, you know, I might not get it accepted here, so I should probably go uh, put in another application down at Biola. And they had uh, a master's degree that's done through the university, which is the apologetics one. And it allows you, if you already have your BA in biblical studies, to offset those kind of courses mm, with nice. things mm-hmm. like philosophy that mm-hmm. you felt that mm-hmm. you need more of. So you uh, there for two, three or two years? Oh, yeah. So I ended up getting accepted at the Oxford one, but I didn't like it as much as the Biola one. So we ended up moving down to Biola. Great. Uh, it's a two-year program. However... Uh, I had already had some coursework done at Axe Seminary, uh, long story short, so I was able to do it in a year and a half. Okay, wow. so about 18 months you're in Southern California. Yeah. You, do you come back to Canada at that point and start looking around and thinking that, you know, that they could, because you were influenced a little bit by some of the apologetic stuff that you saw down in the States yeah. and tried to emulate it, from what I understand, tried to emulate some of it up here in Canada, because it's just not, there's not really much along those lines in Canada. Well, I'd never seen it before. And again, long story short, I took a course on debate and logic with William Lane Craig. Yes. And part of that course is they only allowed 15 students to take it, and you had to debate each other. And different organizations and professors would come watch these debates. And, and so I, I, I participated in this, and I did well in my debate. And so there was an organization there called apologetics.com, 
and they have a radio show in mm-hmm. Los Angeles right. and invited me on to the radio show. And so then throughout the year, I started doing radio with this organization, and I began to see the influence that, that this ministry was having on people. So what kind of questions would people deal with on this radio show? Like, what would they ask? Well, your typical questions, you know, the meaning of life, God, does God exist? Mm-hmm. Why is there evil? Do all religions lead to God? Is there life after death? You know, those sorts of questions. And then some really, uh, some really difficult ones on top of it. And I, I'll never forget, actually, this was a really pivotal moment for me, when we would drive down to Los Angeles as a carload of thinkers, you know, and we're talking. Uh, you know, I've spent most of my life having conversations with people, knowing that they always have a you know, a duration I can go before I bore them, and I know that I need to change the conversation <laughs> yeah. into like a poop joke or something, right? What were you just saying? And <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> and to go an entire car road ride with these guys and realizing that I'm not exhausting the conversation and that they love this as much as I love this, be, I began to realize that maybe I'm actually wired in this direction. Mm, yeah, that's interesting that you say that, because I think at some point or another, as the age you age, you start to realize what you're good at and yeah. the things that really engage yeah. you. And How think. old would you have been at this point? Would have been in my 30s. Okay. Isn't that interesting? So all those years, and yeah. then you finally figure out, oh. It starts to come together. And which I find really bizarre. I, again, it's one of those times yeah. I'd love to go back in, you know, in time and go, Hey, Andy, let me talk to you about some philosophy stuff. Maybe you'd find it interesting. (laughs) It should be a good reminder to those who are listening, either if they have kids or if you are younger, that, you know what, eventually eventually, uh, it comes together and Mm -hmm. you start realizing what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And the older you get, I mean, I'm in my 40s now, and I'm just now kind of realizing, oh... I seem to focus better when on this stuff and not that stuff. I yeah. wonder if that's because I'm, you know, and you start just start to realize yeah. what you're, what yeah. you're capable of doing. Totally. So you, you, it takes some guts to found a ministry, though, Andy. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I started realizing I'm gifted at this, but more than that, it was I saw the incredible need, and so I really uh, never thought about the like would I fail or something like that. I just thought, man, there's so many young adults up here that need Jesus and that are abandoning the faith for stupid reasons. I've got to engage with them. And so I just came up and started doing that. And hmm. I What that, did you say how did you start? Like did what was yeah. the first thing that Apologetics Canada did? Do you know the very first thing that we did is uh I met with Nancy's family. This this is how a ministry starts. You meet with your family and you sit them down and go, look at what we're gonna go do. You and know. what'd they say? And they thought it was the most ridiculous thing they'd ever heard <laughs> in their life. You know, now now they're all proud of yeah. Nancy and I. I was there yeah. when it began. <laughs> yeah. I was in that room. <laughs> but truthfully, you know, most people thought it was just the stupidest thing they'd ever heard. So Apologize what, for what? So you what know? was your first like event or thing uh, that you did? So then the very first thing we did once, you know, we started in this ministry and which was very uphill because apologetics was very unknown at that mm-hmm. time. Uh, but the very first thing that we did is we thought about hosting a conference to which one of our only supporters told us that, that was a stupid idea and no one would ever come out to an apologetics conference. And then I started having a conversation with uh, John Morrison. He was a youth, young adults pastor in Coquitlam, and he and I said, well, let's give it a shot. And we um, filled up Coquitlam Church with some 600 people. Wow. Yeah, Coquitlam Alliance. I yeah. remember being there. for the. I was there for that early one. How and many then, years ago was that? So this is our... This that was nine years ago. Yeah. Nine years ago. Yeah. And How long have you been hosting them at Northview? It's at least. Well, seven. they did there, and then they went to uh, Seven Oaks. Uh, not Seven. I'm sorry. Um, Peace Portal Alliance That's right. Church for okay. a year. One year. Yeah, one year. We realized we needed a bigger church. We really didn't expect that. No. You know, and realized okay, we're going to need a bigger church. So then we go to to Peace Portal, and we had over 800. And then we realized we're going to need a bigger church. 
And it was at that time that Jeff uh, contacted me, or I contacted we you. Just I can never the, remember. We got connected with each other. Yeah. Somehow. And because J.P. Moreland was speaking at that yeah, Peace Portal right. conference, and Jeff was doing his doctorate under J.P. Yeah. And so that's when I met uh, Jeff and Kyle, and I'll never forget Jeff when you and I met for the first time. I came out here to Northview, and I I can't remember all that took place, but something happened with my car, and I needed to borrow my mom's minivan all the way from Portland. I drove it up, and my mom's got like four dogs that she you know <laughs> keeps in that thing, and it's just gross. And I so I have to drive this thing, and I come to work, and that was back when you used to like to ride your bike. Yeah. And you're and you're like, you know, I rode my bike and we're going out to lunch. He's like, Can we take your car? And I'm like, This is the no. worst. <laughs> is the I worst. do remember the car. <laughs> There's a lot of dog hair in that car. Yeah. And the smell. <laughs> oh, that was humbling. No, it was good though. And and uh, you know, you've held it here at Northview, what, seven years? This will be seven? the seventh year, seven. yeah. Seventh year? Yeah. We went that first year. I was new on staff. We brought our 13-year-old son, Carter, at the time, and he was so excited. He didn't understand half of what was said, but what the half he did get, he was so excited, and he's been coming every year since. You know, it's, yeah, not, a, uh, it's not a super long conference, no. and so it, it scratches the itch, though. Yeah. Of, you know, like it, it starts at like 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock on a Friday, and it's over by 3, three. or 4 yeah. the next day. Mm-hmm. But lots the, of different there's breakouts. lots of breakouts. There's yeah. lots of but the time is maximized. There's yeah. not a lot of like wasted space. No. There's a number of speakers who who are doing good work and end up. It's interesting. We've had some really engaging yeah. people come and share and talk about things. Yeah. You know, uh, from all over the place, and it's mm-hmm. all like I, all the ones that I've ever heard have been really yeah. excellent. You know, whether you agree with them or you don't agree with them, they give you something really profound to think about. They they largely helpful. Sometimes it's over your head. Mm-hmm. And other times for some people, and then other times it's just right in their wheelhouse, and they just they love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I got to say two things here. One is, you know, a special thanks to Jeff because yeah, totally. he really. I know he's gonna <laughs> just gonna make soak a, it a in. Joke. Yeah, no, he, yeah, soak it in and joke about it. But truthfully, uh, he took a took a you know a step of faith with having this guy that's just starting this organization and and working with the conference, and then bringing this organization in and uh, taking a chance on me. And I've told him thank, thank you. Yeah, but times, I think but... that you and I shared shared the, a common concern, and that is that neither of us want to see young people abandon the faith for stupid reasons. I understand right. why somebody might abandon the faith for, you know, uh, l- life situations. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they, they they struggle with trying to figure out why why personally this certain thing happened to them mm-hmm. between God. I understand the, like, existential crisis that ex- that's there, but... You shouldn't be abandoning the faith because yeah. because of your thinking. Like yeah. Christianity has a long, rich history of being some of the smartest people on the block. And, and honestly, that's what inspired the conference. Is when you begin to look into the history of Christianity, you begin to realize that we have a robust histo- uh, intellectual tradition. And my desire has always been to f- to continue that. And so when I putting the conference together is really me going. This is what I want to go to. You know, a conference is dealing with the questions people are are addressing right now. And I think, how cool has it been over the years when I have met so many non-Christians that come to the conference and explain to me this is the only place I have to even go to hear Mm -hmm. somebody talk on these questions. Yeah, you haven't shied away, though, from the questions either, though. Mm -hmm. I think the conference itself doesn't doesn't, um, pull punches when it comes to trying to address the, the genuine challenges. It's not every year, hey, here's, you know... The five historical views on you right. know why God exists, we've had that you know yep. Bill Craig did that on one occasion, but others, like others, 
have come and you've engaged with issues regarding, I mean, last time it was about what does it mean to be human and those issues around that, which are so prevalent today. And they are the questions of people, identity, and these things are the ones that people are... No, uh, you know. So I think Andy, you've done well. Your team mm-hmm. has done well to tr- you have your finger on the pulse of the culture at large and are able to say, okay, so how can we think well about these mm-hmm. this particular set of questions that people are actually either asking quietly or out loud mm-hmm. on Twitter or whatever. And it's been an interesting part, by the way, of doing this conference that a lot of people don't don't realize is that most conferences are built on your speakers. Yeah. But we knew right away we couldn't build a conference that way. Uh, it's so difficult to bring in your headlining speakers and yeah. to try to do that year after year to build the conference. And so what we did instead was build trust with people saying, you know, would you just trust us? Come out to this conference. We are going to address questions that are that are current, and we're going to bring some of the best thinkers on those issues, right. mm-hmm. although you maybe never have heard of them right. before. So. And it's been the case. So we want to dive into some more mature content. But before we do that, Andy, give us a little bit of a flavor for what's, what you're excited about for this conference coming up beginning of March. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this conference in that uh, on the for, there's many things, but for the Friday night, we are addressing an incredibly important topic here in Canada specifically, and that is the question of religious freedom. So as soon as I had seen what had taken place with the Trinity Western case and other things that had preceded that, uh, including uh, I was at the National Prayer Breakfast and some of the, th- the discussions that were going on, uh, I realized freedom is a huge question yeah. in Canada right now, and it must be addressed. And so Steve, Kim, Terry, and I sat down and we said, okay, who would be the top three people we'd love to have at Northview discussing this question? And, uh, and these are the three. Uh, Andrew uh, Shooten works uh, with ARPA Canada, and he is, was one of the interveners at the TWU uh, case, Supreme Court case. So, like a first, he had front row seat yeah. to the whole thing. Right, that was only last spring. And so he's a lawyer. Then we have uh, Rachel Harder, who's an MP from Lethbridge, and she's also the shadow minister for uh, the status of women, who has had uh, numerous challenges in her political career, including being penalized for her views on. Uh, abortion, for example. And so we wanted, uh, I remember the first time I met her, I was like, oh man, we, I, like, we've, we've got to bring her out. Such a, a, a young but sharp thinker that stands up for her beliefs. And then we've got Andrew Bennett, uh, who's the director of Cardis Religious Freedom Institute at, at Cardis Law. Now he was uh, the first person ever appointed to the um, uh, Committee for Religious Freedom uh, under the previous government. As soon as this government came in, uh, he was let go. But these three have their pulse on the religious freedom and uh, going on, the, the debates going on yep. here in Canada, and I can't wait to be a part of this dialogue. It is the live discussion yeah. that's being had now It is and in it's, Canada. It's funny, too, because these three are, they are, they are over the moon to come and dialogue on this with each other, so they're excited about this as well. You have oh, some I other bet. speakers. One of my old professors is coming. Yeah, Daryl Bach, Bach. Who, most people don't realize this, but he's probably, I would argue, top three. He's one of the best New Testament scholars in the in world. In the world, yeah. top three. Wow. Uh, so he's coming out. Yeah. We have, and by uh, that, when I say that, I don't mean just as an exegete, which meaning that, you know, like can't interpret the Bible well. Right. He's written the best commentaries mm-hmm. probably on Luke and Acts, although Craig Keener's Acts commentary is pretty great, but... Mm-hmm. He's he's written some top shelf commentaries, but uh, Daryl's Daryl's skills are in cultural evaluation and uh, also in the historical tradition. Like, what is Jesus a real guy? 
how do I know, all that kind of stuff. Really is engaged a lot with apologetics. He's great. Yeah, so we're excited to have him. George Yancey uh, is coming out talking on racial gridlock. And then we're flying in. Um, so we have a whole bunch of breakout session speakers. And we also have Noi coming from Bangkok. Nice. And uh, we're going to be doing an interview with her, which I'm quite excited about. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things people always uh, get as a part of this conference that's important to me is head and heart. Yep. Uh, you'll you'll see that we're going to address all, all, all both of those. And don't be surprised. Like, if you come, you might be hearing us right now thinking, if you've not come before, don't be surprised. that, that we They will sing. And that's, that's part right. of the reason that they're not ashamed to say, look, we're Christian people and we sing yeah. to God and we believe that there's a, a hard aspect to all of this sort of thing. And you can mm-hmm. know God, not mm-hmm. just with your mind, but the rest of you as well. That's right. So um, there's a, yeah, it's, it's genuine. So don't be surprised if you show up and somebody wants to sing some songs. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a skeptic or stuff, it's awesome. Come along, bring your skeptical friends. You just might want to tell them ahead of time. Yep. Skeptics don't be, don't love be su- coming. Don't be surprised if there's a little bit of singing, but you're, you're, you're going to get You're going to be engaged. Totally. Okay, we want to dive into some mature content. So parents, if you are driving along with your kids, this might be the time to turn off the podcast and listen to it on your own with your own headphones. But Andy, since you're here, we want to talk a little bit about New Horizons in porn culture. Okay. So you're on the spot. Why, do you have Andy, why are you asking Andy that question? Because he's been talking about the dehumanization of people. Yeah, and, it's this and this is topic. like one of the... Yeah. Yeah, one of the flashpoints for mm-hmm. it. This is a question that I receive a lot from um, my studies and just time spent with ministering to young adults. Is people ask me, Andy, where's culture going? Yeah. You know, what's kind of the next thing? And I think that the 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 direction that culture has been going is the same direction has been going since the fall. You know, since Adam and Eve. Right. Uh, I I like the way that C.S. Lewis penned it uh, in his title to his book, The Great Divorce, that humanity has divorced themselves from God, but they're also in the process of divorcing themselves from each other. And so what we see in our culture then is is a divorcing of ourselves from one another that takes place in dehumanizing ways, and pornography is one of those, where we feed our narcissism, and one of the ways that we can do that through technology is in unique ways we've never been able to do it before. How is that dehumanizing, Andy? Yeah, so that now... It's dehumanizing for the person, for the object? Right, so what... So The object of the porn, I mean. Is that what you mean? Well, to be really clear, uh, dehumanization takes place in one of two ways, either to see a person as an animal or object. Mm. And so in the case of pornography, you objectify a human being. And so now... You have these relational needs that we will seek to meet, whether that's through social media or through so- something like pornography, but it, it becomes this thing that, that becomes incredibly narcissistic. Take uh, social media, for example, right? I'll take everything that I want from it, but you know, if somebody bothers me, I'm going to defriend them. I'm only going to show you a certain aspect of my life, only the good stuff, nothing else, right? And so... We, we really start to reduce each other to our Instagram pictures, right? And, and it doesn't give you an actual, you know, full picture of this human being, but nor does it actually address your deep needs as a human being as a relational creature. So when we move over into pornography, what you see is that, you know, people have these deep relational needs that are sexual needs that, you know, in sexual intimacy... But as we see in different cultures, you know, and, and even our own, that uh, relationships are difficult. You know, it's not easy to be married. You know, it's, it's not easy to uh, deal with people's families, right? 
in children and, and all those different aspects. But it's so much easier if I've got my, you know, my Facebook profile, I got my Instagram pics, but then I got my pornography where I'm trying to feed myself. You've cobbled these. it together. You've cobbled together That's the right. easiest version of all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Like right. uh, that a relationship, a full orbed relationship is going to give you all of that stuff, but it's going to be more difficult. Yeah. So it's going to give me everything I want without all that bad stuff that's difficult right. to deal with. And one of the areas that we're seeing this is uh, in the area of what's called robot sex or sex dolls. Yeah, or that's the next, seems to be the next. I mean, I, there, I think a lot of people out, out who are listening to us might not be aware that uh, what's happened in pornography was the, I mean, the, those of us who are young, men, especially, I remember when I was a kid going through the cash register and there was, you know, the little Playboy magazines that behind were hidden the behind counter, the counter in the magazine yeah. in the magazine yeah. so you would ask the person to get it and yeah. then that you'd have to get it and it was hidden from yeah. sight you know and so it's moved from that to the advent of course of DVDs and things which you still had to go into a shop and purchase yeah. mm-hmm. but now because of the advent of the internet it's so easy and then that that takes one step further with a cell phone it's mobile now you can take yeah. it anywhere you want and mm-hmm. now the next step that a lot of people might not be aware of is the is the the virtual reality. You can put a set of goggles on, and they even have devices that stimulate the body while you're wearing the thing, so that so that it's 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 they're trying to make it as 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 lifelike as they possibly yeah. can. But now they're stepping the next direction, which is like, well, if we really want to supply people with, uh, you know, solve their sexual needs. Uh, why we're getting to the point with robots that we're able to we're able to actually just make sex bots, yeah, mm-hmm. right, and you can make them look like however you want or yeah. these sorts of things, yeah, yeah, which is an interesting thought, right? So I want this doll to look this way, right, and then again, this this doll is this, this is by the way something else that's happening with porn culture is not just with dolls but even virtually where you can go, you know, I want this, uh, the, I want I want a picture of a naked person that looks like my friend. You know, or my coworker, or or whatever that might be, right? Again, the whole idea is, it is allowing you to to divorce yourself from people. Yeah, but you can use that person not as the real person that they are. You can just make them to look like what you want, and they can do the things it. you want them to do. Right? They're not actual people. No. And I so I get what I want, but I don't have to deal with all that yucky stuff, like you know, like you've had a bad day, or I have to meet your father, or you know, I got we, you know we're we're gonna have children or whatever that might yeah. be, right? So so what ends up happening is you begin to isolate yourself from yeah. people more and more. So yeah. what's the danger in that, Andy? I mean, can, some people might, might be listening to this and thinking to themselves, "Yeah, that sounds like a great idea." <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't have to have any of the problems, or well, also like, because we think it's sort of safer, right? The, your sex bot isn't going to get pregnant, and your sex bot isn't going to give you a disease. Yeah, I imagine that that's pro- part of what. How it's going to be sold? You not, don't have the problem, traditional problem yeah. with uh, with prostitution, and it's not actual sort of physical abuse on a person. So it's easier for you or better for you to have sex with a sex it's, bot or a doll. It's of just some masturbation, sort. is yeah. what she's saying. Who's against that? That's what a lot of people will end up arguing, and it has all these positive outcomes. Well, they'll say it's not hurting someone. No, it's not hurting someone at all. And so, right. Andy, what what is the what's the bad? So I would argue that there's two things that are taking place there. One is, uh, yes, it is hurting somebody, and I'm going to circle back to this, but the first and foremost is hurting you. Yeah. But secondly, yes, it is also hurting other people. So a lot of documentaries have come out about this, how pornography, let's go with actual pornography, 
uh, is actually hurting those people that are participating uh, in that pornography. So we could say, okay, that's hurting them. But then, then there's this aspect where you're not just hurting yourself, and I would actually go much further and say that this is actually dehumanizing you, because if you are a relational being in your essence and you are removing yourself from relationship, you are dehumanizing yourself. Yeah. But think about what this is doing on a grand scale to those people that were going to be your spouse or those people you were going to be in a friendship with. It doesn't have to be just sexual, right? That no longer now, they, they, don't, they no longer have you. And this is an aspect of relationship a lot of people forget. Take church, for example. When, you know, this is one of the questions that drive me crazy when Christian will, uh, Christ, people ask, you know, do, does a Christian need to go to church? Right. Right. And I'm thinking, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I need the, I need you, mm. and you need me. Yeah. We need each other. Yeah, we, the actual me. Yeah. Yeah. And we were created for community, and you will never fully flourish as a human being until you are in relationship with God and each other, and not just any kind of relationship, right relationship. Yeah. And so this is ultimately what the, the point of the Bible is getting at. You were created for relationship. You are divorcing yourself from God and other people. And Jesus has come in to reconcile yeah. you back to God and one another. So in some senses, this is just going to perpetuate this, this move to robot sex. It's just going to perpetuate and make even worse the, the kinds of issues that we're currently facing. A culture of loneliness. Yeah, is where with this going. fracturing and the loneliness and the, and the fact that, you know, one of the things, I remember uh, counseling a young guy years ago. Who was he? He struggled with pornography quite a bit, and he said that the thing that has caused him the most trouble um, is that he's worried that the woman that he was going to marry that he was actually going to treat her like a person, and he could never. He was not the kind of person who could have exp- expressed the stuff you're expressing, Andy, and kind of with kind of erudite language you're using. But he he instinctively knew that I don't think that any actual woman will serve me. Mm-hmm. the way that I can pick and choose my porn experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that frightened him because he had realized that in his, his Christian guy, right, he realized that his mind had been so numbed or formed now to expect something that was never going to be the case. He ended up getting married, and I asked him years later, he said, it's been a massive struggle for his married life. H- yeah. How do I relate to some uh, actual person yeah. after all this? Um, the real the real world is messy. It's broken. You have arguments. You have to you know ask for forgiveness. You got to work through things. You know that that's reality. Mm-hmm. Now it's interesting. In 2017, research came out about loneliness, which by the way is epidemic. It is. And I wish I had more time to it's talk the about West, its, its effects. It, it is the Western. Uh, it is the Western epidemic, especially. And when I Absolutely. say Western, I don't mean it's not happening in Seoul, Korea, and stuff. I actually am saying that it's just it's it's. As more the more inward focused on ourselves we've gotten, and the more we've catered to that with stuff like this, the more lonely we've become, and the more people like Thalia end up having meetings with people. Yes, and this side of heaven, I have she, lots of work. She ends up having to to point out that look, the genesis of a lot of this problem is that your whole life is wrapped up in just you. You, and a lot, what a lot of people don't realize, and this has been interesting in the research, is that it loneliness has physical effects on you. Yep. It is the equivalent of smoking five to seven cigarettes a day. Yep. Uh, is is what you know if you want to put it in those terms. That's what loneliness is doing. 
it's not good for you. You weren't made to be alone. You weren't meant to be narcissistic. You, you know, and by the way, this is works its way out in other ways. Think about um, uh, euthanasia, for example, right? Now, you know, we, we live in this culture that becomes so narcissistic, so about me, that when my mom gets cancer, she starts feeling pressure that maybe she should just take her life so that I don't right. have to watch her get sick right. or deal it's with hard. any of that, because it's hard for you, right. you know? But maybe, maybe it's supposed to be hard for you. Maybe you actually do need to watch your mom go through cancer. Maybe you actually do need to love her through that to her yeah, final yeah. breaths, right? So even in, yeah. Because that's what it is to be human. Well, my mind goes to the pastoral epistles. That's essentially what Paul's saying to Timothy, you know, like that that there's kind of a repayment attitude, you know, in 1 Timothy, the latest verses of 1 Timothy, like there's a, you owe it to to the, the, your your parents. They've looked after you for years. Now you owe it to them. That, listen, I'm not suggesting that you know maybe the best place for them is not in a nursing home where they can have 24-hour day care and all that kind of stuff. But I am suggesting mm-hmm. that it is the responsibility of people like like kids to look after mom and dad, or at least in a society that at least values palliative care over, yeah. hey, take this pill so we don't have to yeah. deal with anything. Mm-hmm. But increasingly, that's going to be the case. Do you think, Andy? I mean, oh, increasingly, it's going to be is. the case that whatever absolutely. whatever uh, helps the individual have the easiest, most fulfilling in the moment life will be the thing that happens in the culture. Yeah. And, and we don't realize its effects. The other day, I was speaking at a university, and uh, a blind girl was there and was was uh, you know brought up to the front to talk with me afterwards, and and she had tears in her eyes. And, uh, and she was explaining to me that she, how devalued she feels in our mm-hmm. culture, that she feels like she's a burden, that she's, you know, a financial, you know, drain on our culture. And, and via the movies and the songs and the media that we experience, we don't realize the kind of messages that we send to the disabled community and to the elderly community where they feel incredibly devalued uh, and, and uncertain of the future. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow, we could have a lot of fun talking about. Listen, these you know of what people are. But yeah. Listen, people, people. The point is that Andy's agreeing with, and I'm sure you do too, yeah. Thalia, is that at the end of the day, your relationship with God needs to be sorted, mm-hmm. so that your relationship with others can be sorted. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, yes, it's hard, but God's the gospel can create unity mm-hmm. where there was disunity, both between God and with those you even don't like at the present moment. So mm-hmm. that, that there is a healing work. That the gospel brings, yeah. and so we we do hold in our hands and hearts and minds uh, the answer to the question that the that the culture is asking by by yelling mm-hmm. about it. So let's not be shy in giving it. Mm-hmm. Andy, Amen. thanks so much for joining us today, and we really hope that you come back again because there are topics we can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Hey, thanks for joining us, everyone. <laughs>